When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is sponsored by the rise and fall of Dio Dio. A linguist, a military spy, a quantum physicist, and witches all must travel in time to bring back magic. Take the trip too. Read The Rise and Fall of Dio Dio by master storyteller Nicole Galland and the best selling author of Cryptonomicon, Neil Stevenson. Check out The Rise and Fall of Dio Dio now at HarperCollins.com. <laughs> This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 215. We're recording on Thursday, June 22nd, 2017. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. It's a big show this week. It is. We have many links. Lots so of many links. to talk about. It's just li- things, links, like, links all the way down. It is. And as happens to us, it seems frequently, big news broke right after we recorded the show last and, week. And, and right before we, I mean, we, we were reverse bookended, I guess. I don't mm-hmm. know how that, I'm not sure what the right um, shelving metaphor is for what happened to us. But, and then we have all, we have our own news to talk about too. We so we, we've got a big show to get through. Um, we're going to, in a follow-up section, this also broke this morning in terms of um, one of our longstanding you know, the competition for most bookish celebrity is pretty heated right now. I mean, you've got true, Oprah, you've got um, uh, Andrew Luck, you've got Reese Witherspoon, you've got Mindy Kaling. But Emma Watson, I think, now tell me if I'm wrong here, might might, might be number one here. She's got the Goodreads you know? Book Club, and now she was dropping books around New York before. She dropped books around London, and now she is dropping copies of The Handmaid's Tale around Paris. So if she's she's up there, I think if you're drafting... She's taking it to the streets. She's taking it to the streets. And what's interesting, I think, about her particular is it's not... I mean, Oprah's book club isn't commercial. I mean, Oprah's not selling the books. It's not like a subscription service or whatever. Neither is the Andrew Luck thing. But hers feels a little bit more... At ground? I don't know. She's like you said, it's, taking it streets is like a joke, but it's also not. Like she's like at yeah, a no, Goodreads book like, group. Like that's not fancy. It's. I think there's a couple things going. On. She's younger yeah, than right. Oprah and Andrew Luck and Reese Witherspoon and Mindy Kaling. She's. This is like. This is a millennial celebrity doing mm. a digital book club and digital just like love of books in the way that millennials do it. So it's not about a pick that gets. Do you think she has a, a secret Tumblr like, like a Hermione fanfic Tumblr? How funny would that oh. be? <laughs> I hope so. I hope that she writes like supernatural fan fiction yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah that'd <laughs> you know? be so great. Um, but I think it's that's why this works so well for her is that you know she is about the same age as a lot of her major fans. Mm-hmm. She relate like she knows like, she speaks the same language. She knows like go out into the streets of Paris and leave copies of The Handmaid's Tale. Do a book club on Goodreads. Like it's not about making a big reveal on TV or in your magazine and then interview the author it's about for her what the internet does connecting community and mm-hmm. like Reese Witherspoon I think of as kind of a curator 
like Oprah yeah. and Mindy Kaling kind of does that as well. Like Witherspoon has been buying a bunch of rights to a bunch of books and she, you know, of course produced wild and big little lies. And I think the newest one is Eleanor Oliphant mm-hmm. is completely fine mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Eleanor that's Oliphant is my, doing all that's right. That's my list right now. I just got to hold from the library. I'm interested. It to looks see really that. cute. Yeah. I'm looking forward um, to but it. But those are like, especially Reese Witherspoon and Oprah, like, I think I might be aging into their demographics, mm. but they're they're they do things for a slightly older audience, and Emma Watson is very like of the moment. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I guess too, like Reese Witherspoon is a public book fan, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, and Oprah has the book club and like makes choices. It's, it's interesting. I guess I mean Andrew Luck has a podcast about books. That's pretty nerdy. It is that and, and interviews the authors and stuff like. I guess maybe that's one. Like, what's the nerd quotient from the activity? I think that's got to be the nerdiest one. And then, because Emma, Emma Watson, this isn't nerdy. It's interesting, but it's, I don't know if it's nerdy to leave. It's its active. It's political. It's a little bit uh, subversive in its own way. Yeah, um, yes. Where I'm not sure what Andrew Luck is doing is subversive. Like, it has a clear, Emma Watson, she, she cares about feminism, intersectional feminism, like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. She's, she's, she was mentioning, you know, they're reading Bill Hooks in the book club. So it definitely has an edge to it. Um, you know, I think different. there's, there's a bi-directionality to the Emma Watson yes. piece. Like Andrew Luck, the podcast goes out. Oprah's selections go out. Reese Witherspoon Instagrams a book mm-hmm. that she likes or produces a movie based on that book and it goes out. Mindy Kaling Instagrams books that she likes and those go out. Bill Gates does yep. it and it just goes outward. Sarah Jessica Parker is also a very public book fan, but Emma Watson is looking for something coming back to her from yeah, other right. readers. That like community connection piece. And I think that is shaping the way that she does this because it isn't for her just about being like, I liked this book and it would be great if you went and read it, or I liked this book and I want to support the author, go read it. But like, I liked this book and it has something to offer us as a community Mm -hmm. of young people who care about feminism or progressive issues. So let's do that. Like it has this extra layer to it. Yeah. Like it it has a, it has a, a layer of active, activism either at the bottom mm-hmm. or the top, or I, I don't know, my, my the mantle, the crust, the core, somewhere, somewhere in the, the <laughs> geology, there's a there's a layer of activism. Well, we're out of our metaphorical depth. Yeah, here. I know. I just finished listening to Astrophysics for People in the Hurry, so I'm thinking cosmologically. <laughs> oh, and man, I loved that. That was uh, cool. Anyway, so yeah, very cool. Um, Handmaid's Tale around Paris. Uh, I guess nice job. Yeah, Emma very interesting to see. Uh, let's do our first sponsor before we get to the the rest of the show. Alcrate is back this week. Alcrate's a monthly subscription service that delivers bookish fun straight to your door. Each box contains a brand new hardcover young adult novel as well as a bunch of bookish gust stuff to set the mood for your literary adventure. Every box is built with a super fun and creative theme in mind, and also includes special goodies right from the author. A little something fancy, something you can't get somewhere else. They also, Alcrate has a brand new box for younger readers. It's called Alcrate Junior. It's perfect for readers aged 8 to 12 or anyone who likes books that for you know aimed at 8 to 12. Middle grade, I think, is what we call that now. Um, much like, I, I don't know how long that's going on now. I mean, 10 years plus where YA wasn't just for people who are YA. It's for people who like that genre, like that form, like those topics and concerns. Middle grade is kind of having a similar moment this year where it's it's for kids 8 to 12, but you know people of all ages um, can enjoy that as well. So Alcrate Jr. Uh, geared for a little bit younger readers there. You can use the offer code BOOKRIOT10, all one word, for 10 
20% off. Go check it out. Thank you so much for Alcrate for sponsoring the show, uh, continuing through the summer. Uh, get yourself something. Give it a gift. It will be a wonderful gift for somebody. Keep it in mind. For the holidays, you can buy it as a gift for somebody. Um, or you know, maybe 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 buy maybe it's a bogo situation. Buy one for yourself, mm. give one to somebody else. One for you, one for me. Yeah, that's right. Well, why buy one? We get two for twice the price. Uh, go to alcrate.com. Offer code bookwrite ten for ten percent off. Uh, should we right. should we do, we should do our news first? I mean, it's our show. It is our show. Yeah, it's our show. So we 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 talked about. I think I don't know if the first time we had mentioned it on this show was last week. We talked about it um, in Bookwrite Insider Slack and. Um, mm-hmm. That we had another podcast project coming, and it's the teaser is out. It's on it's on Apple Podcasts right now. It's coming to Google Play and Overcast and Stitcher within the day. Probably by the time you're listening to this right now, you can go find it. The show is called well, Annotated. We're gonna put the teaser in here. Yeah, we're we? gonna. I'm saying after you listen to the teaser, we want you to go subscribe. Go subscribe yes. because the first what it is it's a it's six episode season one it's coming out every other week the first full episode drops June 29th and it'll be a, you know the rest of the episode that you're about to hear in a minute we're going to give you three or four minutes of the first one and what it is like I'm my I'm pitching it sort of as this American life for books but it's not really exactly that that's the shorthand that's the the the, the five words or however many that is. It's short audio documentary podcast series about books, reading, and language. Um, and the first one uh, you'll hear in a minute is about you know the the recent interest in 1984 by George Orwell, and then going back to say how did 1984 come to be talked about in the first place? I'm not going to spoil the rest. I don't. Want, I don't. I'm not even going to. I don't even give a hints about the rest of the episodes uh, for this season because I think that's part of the fun. But it's not each episode isn't just about a book or an author. It's about anything really relating to books and reading that we think is interesting. It's researched. It's reported. Um, Rebecca and I are narrating at least the first one, uh, uh, and probably more than that. Um, I wrote it and produced it. My friend Jeremy Desmond, who uh, writes theater, helped me break the story and think about shape. And then my brother Kyle, who has been editing all of our shows. Uh, is helping us with sound design. Um, Sharifa and I just yesterday went on a reporting mission for one of the upcoming episodes. <laughs> Field trip. So uh, I, I'm really excited about it. It brings in some you know sound from other sources, and you'll hear a little bit of that here. Uh, so we're going to drop the teaser, and we'll say some more about it, because I want to talk about it just for a minute after you've heard the teaser. So right now, we're going to drop in the teaser. Right now. <laughs> On January 24th of this year, a book took over the number one ranking on Amazon's best-selling books list. Now, this happens all the time with new releases or new movies based on books coming out. The number one spot is really pretty fluid. But what was unusual about this new number one was that it wasn't new. There was no adaptation hitting theaters, Oprah hadn't said anything about it, and in fact, there was nothing really new going on at all. Right. Instead, what kicked off the book surge was an interview on NBC that didn't mention the author, the title, or even anything about books. You did not answer the question of why the president asked the White House press secretary to come out in front of the podium for the first time and utter a falsehood. Why did he do that? It undermines the credibility of the entire White House press office no, on day don't one. Be so, don't be so overly dramatic about it, Chuck. What it, it, you're saying it's a falsehood, and they're giving Sean Spicer, our press secretary, gave alternative facts to that. But the point remains— Wait a minute. Alternative facts? Alternative facts. 
This exchange between Chuck Todd and Kellyanne Conway on January 22nd has become maybe the most famous soundbite of Trump's presidency. And two days after it aired, George Orwell's 1984 hit number one. Almost overnight, it felt like everyone was referencing Orwell, 1984, Newspeak, Big Brother. It was just in the air and on the air. Maybe he's just saying all this crazy stuff to distract us from what he's really doing. Now, that would be a chilling prospect. That's CNN's Van Jones on January 24th. In his hands is a copy of 1984. I want to read you a short passage that stands out for me. It says, the party told you to reject the evidence of your eyes and your ears. It was their final, most essential command. Now, let me tell you this. You can believe your eyes and you can believe your ears. Data is data. Facts are facts. There are no alternative facts, okay? Let's not go down the Orwellian road. And I hope that's not where Trump is trying to lead us. Whatever the reason or actual relevance, people were talking about 1984 and buying it in huge numbers. Huge numbers. It was out of stock in many bookstores, and for a while you had to wait three to four weeks to get it from Amazon. There's even a new stage adaptation on Broadway right now. And that got us thinking, why? How is it that 1984 became the example of a political nightmare? And what do people want from reading 1984 in 2017? Come to think of it, who was George Orwell? And why did he write 1984 in the first place? Hello and welcome to Annotated. I'm Jeff O'Neill. And I'm Rebecca Shinsky. In today's episode, we look into the story behind 1984, why it was written and the unusual way it made it into our high school English classes and our collective consciousness. Along the way, we'll follow Orwell in 1984 from the coal mines of northern England to fighting fascists in Spain and finally to the silver screen with a little help from the CIA. All right, you heard the teaser. So, Rebecca, you came to it a little bit. You saw me working through this. So I thought it'd be interesting to hear your perspectives. I've been, I've been thinking about this for a while, and I did like a, I don't even know what you would call the first one, that no one will hear outside of like the six people. Like, <laughs> right, here's what the, we're thinking about. Here's what we did. Like, here's what we learned. And it wasn't good, but it was, oh, I see how we get to the next place from yeah, this one. It was like the podcast equivalent of the novel that you write, but that you keep in the drawer. Yeah, forever. yeah, yeah. But you have to write the drawer novel in order to get to the other one. Right, or like um, the first time you make pancakes. Like you're going right. to burn the, you, you burn the first, the first batch. batch. You're right. like, oh, wait, okay, the, the thing's too hot. I need more baking soda, stuff like that. Yeah, you know, it was interesting, like in a lot of ways. Personally, it was interesting because we usually work so closely yeah. together on everything that this was kind of like... It was kind of like if my husband went into the basement to work on something every night that he wouldn't let me see until it was done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it was very, it was a little bit mysterious. I knew that you were researching something, and I had heard the like Planet Money or This American for Life, This American Life for books kind of pitch. Um, I did not know much about this episode other than that it was going to be about 1984 and what was going on with 1984, not just right now in 2017, but how 1984 became the thing that it is Mm -hmm. to us culturally. But I learned like most of it, I learned in the process of narrating yeah. it with you, read, like going through the script and reading things and being like, oh, that's what that was. <laughs> that's what that was. Um, but it was really interesting thinking about going beyond the stuff that Book Riot has traditionally mm-hmm. done with either, you know, very genre focused, like a lot of our podcasts are, or very focused on specific titles, like all the books is, or like what we do here with news, but to a, a broader look at 
where books sit in our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, uh, you know, one thing that we love about Book Riot is that it's typically for people who are like diehard book nerds. But a thing I think is pretty cool about Annotated is that you don't need to be a diehard book nerd to find these stories interesting because they're about living out in our world in some of the ways that books and language are connected to that. Like people are hearing about 1984 this year who probably didn't ever read it in high school, but they're like generally aware that it's this dystopian thing and might be interested in a look at how it became that touch point that we refer to. Like, why do we talk about 1984 so much and not some of the other dystopian novels? So I think it's, I mean, I'm biased. Right, you're biased now. Now you have endowment effect, <laughs> right? To... That, that was my trick is like, I can get Rebecca to really care about this if I... I... <laughs> no, <laughs> well, I mean, I never, I don't care about your success. That's what I figured. Too, Jeff, it's like, it's so. it's all cold indifference really is what I get. Um, <laughs> right, that's me. It's the But I think, I mean, it's, it's a fun, I think... What I think what you're saying too is like it's kind of an interesting process to to, yeah, to do. It it's hard. It takes a lot of work. I think you know one thing that's been good for us about these shows, you know, uh, get booked uh, all the books. This show, the new genre shows, is while they take some prep, they don't take a whole lot of time. You know, to do they don't take a lot of pre-production, post-production scripting. You know, Lib Lib does a lot of reading. You do a lot of reading. We read the news, but it's not this is. Uh, I'm not sure it's an order of magnitude more work, but it's a lot more work. Um, and it's a do. really different kind of yes, work. Yes, it is. Too. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, my in thinking about the show um, and talking about the show with Jeremy and Kyle, as we were sort of figuring out like what approach to take with it, my idea was I, I was hoping to, I'm, I'm hoping to do episodes that are appeal, uh, that, that broadly appeal to people who might just like wander into a Barnes and Noble, which is not necessarily the book riot audience, right? It's not we're we're nerdier than that. Um not to say that if you just kind of like books and will go into a Barnes and Noble for a while, you wouldn't like book riot, but like it's not really for that kind of audience. Um where this show, I think if you're broadly interested in books, and frankly the goal with the shows is to make each episode interesting, even if you sort of don't care about books. Like if we've done our job then the episode should be interesting. Now, probably be even more interesting if you do care about 1984 or dystopian fiction or whatever. But my hope is, kind of like Planet Money does, is that you don't really have to care about economics to find each episode interesting. It just so happens that the theme is is money. Or Sporkful, which is one I love recently. I don't know if you guys, if any of you out there have listened to this, it's about food. Um, I'm here for that. Which is I great. Yeah, Sporkful. Yet. I really go, I thought I mentioned that before. Anyway, Sporkful. And, and he says, I can't remember the guy's name who does it, but it's great. He says, it's not for foodies, it's for eaters, which is their tagline, mm, which mm-hmm. I think is super interesting, right? And that's, if there were an equivalent, like, I don't know, bifurcation for book nerds, you know, it's not for bookworms, it's for readers. I, that's not quite right, but you get the idea, right? It's, yeah, yeah. Um, that's kind of what I'm hoping to do is to serve both audience uh, both audiences at the same time, and you know it's it's hard. And you know another thing too, and I I, I I'm anxious to tell people about it and to go go subscribe. But one thing too is like it's gonna need to do more. You know it's gonna need to do it on an ongoing basis. We're committed to six season. Hachette was so great to sponsor all six episodes. You know, just so we didn't have to worry about like trying to find sponsors that we don't know what this thing is or what kind of downloads it's gonna do. So they were so great. But to do more in the future, we like it needs to do more downloads just to support the amount of work that goes into it. Um, so that's one thing we're going to see too. Do enough people care about it? Um, do you guys care about it enough? 
uh, that we can, you know, it, it doesn't have to make money for itself right away, but we need to be able to say, okay, by sometime over the next year, if we work on it and are smart and get lucky and all that sort of stuff, we can see a path forward. So that that's part of my nervousness too, is that the resource commitment um, is different on our side, mm. just from the, the business side is different too. Yeah. It's one of those cases where the experiment is always really exciting. Yeah. But then when you, when you get to the launch moment, it's like, ee! yeah, it's like, Oh, like, what's, right. This is, is a thing there's a doing. dose of like, there's a dose of, are, are people going to like it? Yeah. And then, and then there's like, and will they like it enough mm-hmm. to make it sustainable for us? So, um, as we wrap up our pitch for it, if you liked what you heard on the teaser, go check out annotated in apple podcasts subscribe to it if you are super into it and you want to help us out you can even rate or review it right now and then you'll start getting the show the first one drops on the 29th um next thursday yeah and we'll talk when the full one's out too i'm gonna hit everyone up for rating review but it's also the kind of thing i mean i think one thing we know about podcasts which is somehow even more i guess it's what's weird about podcasts on is a digital form is they largely get passed on by word of mouth unlike you know videos or you know that can go viral audio doesn't go viral um and you know serial and like the big hits that you've heard of they get they say you know you have you heard of this at like kind of just like do a sporkful right that's how mm-hmm. these things get passed from person to person so if you have someone in your life that likes this american life or likes uh planet money or any of those kinds of shows you know, see if they like it. If, if you like, if you're comfortable doing it, but like, I, I hope it's going to be something where if you like podcasts in general, you're going to like something like this. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, almost have, uh, you know, we've got five more to do after this one. Uh, it's a lot of work, but I've really enjoyed it. I, I got to do a bunch of research. Um, I got to nerd out about Orwell. I got to nerd out about the other topics I'm working on. I got to nerd out and trying to find topics, uh, which is super, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's pretty funny that we were joking before you didn't realize until afterwards that all of the episodes that are about specific like historical moments yeah, happen. Yeah. They just so happen what, to be largely focused and on early 20th century American literature, which <laughs> right. it might be something I studied for more than years than I'd care to admit. Um, but anyway, yeah, so episode two, then it's going to be you know, mid-July, and it's a different topic. Um, it's not about an individual author or book. It's not even about an author or an individual book. That's my tease for you. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. So thanks you guys so much for listening and being supportive of this. Um, you know, yeah, I kind of uh, going along on these experiments. You're, yeah, with these us. beta listeners. Um, I hope you guys are into it. So anyway, there's All that. Right. Let's do our next sponsor. And our are, are next you doing this sponsor. one? You're doing this one. I'm doing yeah, this yeah, one. Yeah. It's Swimming Home by Mary Rose McCall. This is out from Penguin Books. It's set in London in 1925. It's about a 15-year-old girl named Catherine Quick. She longs to feel once more the warm waters of her home, to strike out into the ocean of the Torres Strait Islands in Australia, and to swim as she's done since she was a child. But now she's orphaned, and she's living with her Aunt Louisa in London. Catherine feels that everything she has valued has been stripped away from her. Um, this author, Mary Rose McCall has been a finalist for multiple Australian writing awards for both fiction and nonfiction. Swimming Home deals partly also with women's equality in the early 1900s. So you're getting a couple different historical perspectives here. And the narrative is split between London and New York. The author herself is a swimmer and she writes about swimming because of its lovely, rich symbolism, the freedom of moving in water long denied to women. Man, that sounds great. Uh, 
The book was partially inspired by the General Slocum Ferry disaster of 1904, in which over a thousand people died because they didn't know how to swim. Uh, So you've got swimming, London, Australia, history, women's equality. And this sounds really terrific. Again, it's Swimming Home by Mary Rose McCall. That's M-A-C-C-O-L-L. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. You can find it wherever books are sold. So thanks to them for sponsoring. I think it was. Right. I think it was right after. I mean, I think we within an show, hour of the show last it, we recording the show, the show. I felt that Thursday. Way. I can't remember yeah. if the news broke on Thursday or Friday, but just la- like mere minutes, it felt like after we got done being like, "Oh, Amazon's going to have thirteen bookstores. That's no big deal." Um, Amazon bought Whole Foods. They bought Whole Foods for what thirteen point four billion. Thirteen point seven. Yeah. 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 Point seven. Um, and we had said last time on the show because we were talking about. The, that publisher's weekly chart that says Amazon is now the fifth, lar- fifth largest book chain in, in the U.S., which is, as we talked about, not the biggest achievement in the world. 13 stores is, is, is not huge. And I had said, I don't remember exactly if you had concurred or merely, or merely sort of nodded your head in my direction about, you know, <laughs> wake me when they yeah. open a Walmart-sized store or something like that. You know, wake because this is an experiment. I, I just didn't see its books. I, it seemed small whatever the question is is this the is it how excited or interested or scared depending on where you fall on the, on the amazon spectrum to be about this um there's a lot of hype you know like a lot of talk of excited talk that this is a big deal um oh, I, th- I saw lots of hand wringing lots of hand wringing the amazon wary or you know the the riders of the f train in new york um who are in publishing or in <laughs> bookstores who love amazon or or wary of amazon but also shop at whole foods what are you going to do that, I, I actually don't care about that i mean make your decision but that's not what i'm interested in i think it's a big deal but is it exciting i guess that's where i'm trying to think of like yeah. is it interesting i'm I don't think it's the most interesting Mm -hmm. thing they could have done. Um, I think you dropped a link when we were just discussing it privately the other day that it's what, like 62 or 68% of Whole Foods customers already already have Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a newsletter that I subscribe to called So What? Who Cares? And I think it's by Lisa Schmeister, Mm -hmm. if you want to Google it. Um, And she was writing about it this week that she thinks the more interesting move would have been for Amazon to acquire like Aldi or Mm. something a little down market. Like when you're Amazon and you've got Prime and you know who the customer is for prime and then you acquire whole foods you're sort of you're digging in deeper with the base that you already have Um, and i was speculating i think probably incorrectly now um last week that it would be interesting to see amazon do something that lets them reach out in physical spaces to like slightly down market or lower socioeconomic customers that they're not getting online. But you're not, you're not buying whole foods if that is your goal, or at least that's not the goal when you're for buying whole foods. That might be something that Amazon wants to achieve elsewhere. But uh, she was saying, and I think that her take is correct, that if it would have been interesting if they had acquired a brand that has a different kind of customer base than what Amazon Prime already has. Like, it's interesting. They, I mean, you can imagine, it's kind of interesting. You can imagine what they might do with it. Like, Amazon has grocery delivery services in some cities now. Maybe you'll be able to order your organic kale chips for same-day delivery in any city that has a Whole Foods. Like, who knows? Yeah. But I just, I just don't think it's that, like... 
It's a big move, but it's also not a Walmart-sized move. It's not a department store. It's not like get your books and your organic kale chips and your diapers and your vacuum cleaner. Mm-hmm. Um, it's But it looks stepwise toward something, and it kind of makes me wonder if their strategy will be continue to acquire things. Like, will Amazon then go buy, I don't know, Best Buy yeah, right. or Home Depot? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, instead of having a bunch of department stores that carry everything, will they buy like one brand that does each thing? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think, it, I think, I think it's yeah, like, I'm like middlingly interested, but not. I'm middlingly interested to, um, I think what's interesting to me, it signals a couple things to me, or a couple possible things to me. One, is that maybe they learned building out bookstores that building out retail is just hard mm. that you know it takes time to get space and sign leases and you know add fixtures and staff up and all of those sorts of things so one 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 answer to why I do this is could be about speed you know uh, whole foods has 200 uh stores in the US and they are in valuable spots like you put whole foods in places where people have money right that's what happens so that makes sense to me in terms of, you know, for Amazon to build its own raft of 200 stores of that size in those locations, we're going to take time, uh, you know, years. You know, Whole Foods have been doing this for decades. I think 1972 is when it started. Now, they didn't have Amazon's resources that whole time. But still, even if Amazon said, I'm going to, we want to start building 200, they wouldn't be complete for years from now. And that's not a timeline that ha- Amazon usually deals with. Um, it's like we're gonna do this thing now, and then in, in five years we'll have nine of them. <laughs> like that's just—I can see Bezos or whoever. You know, I, I don't. At this point, they have so many tentacle arms. I'm not sure how much the the octopus head actually deals with each one. I'm sure this is their largest acquisition. I'm sure Bezos was in, involved in this, but it's a long way of saying some of it might just be God, the time takes so long to get this many physical locations. Even if we wanted to call it Amazon Food or whatever. The second thing is that um, books are different than cabbages. I I know that's Mm going to sound um, reductive, but it is because you can have these giant warehouses and you can have 11 of them or whatever in the U.S., and the DVD players and the cat litter and the the um, the James Patterson novels can sit there and be distributed efficiently by robots because they're non-perishable. When you get down to perishable and locally sourced and... You know, you want a half a pound of oats out of the bulk bin. Like the stuff that makes grocery stores, grocery stores is not something you can do out of 11 warehouses. Now, Amazon Pantry, you can do cereal and Cliff Bars and, you know, dried raisins and stuff. You can do non-perishables. But people go to grocery stores, they do Instacart or they do Fresh Direct or, you know, they do those sorts of things for the stuff that they can't get on Amazon. And I think that's maybe the most interesting thing to me mm-hmm. is here is like Whole Foods is a really good swath of retail of stuff that Amazon really can't fulfill right now in any specific, uh, you know, can't do it in any reasonable way. So it might be an acknowledgement, um, much like the Amazon Books initiative is an acknowledgement that Amazon's like everything can't happen online through Amazon.com. Right. There are parts of retail that we can't touch in our current incarnations. Um, I think it would have been more interesting from a you know potentially disruptive way is like what would Amazon's rethinking of a grocery store look like? And the answer is they think it looks a lot like Whole Foods, which mm-hmm. is fine and exciting well, and a big deal, but it's not 
it's not different. It's not new. It's not disruptive to just go buy. It's like if Amazon wanted to get into building cars and they went and bought Chevy, you wouldn't be like, right. oh my God, what amazing well, innovation. You right. know, that's, it's similar to what they've done with their bookstores. Their being in an Amazon bookstore by all accounts feels an awful lot like being in mm. every other bookstore you've ever been in, except that the titles are all faced out mm. on the displays. Mm. Like, I, I don't know that Amazon, like, I think Amazon was obviously hugely disruptive online. Yeah. But I'm not sure that innovating retail, like physical retail spaces and making a new grocery store, like what does the grocery store of the future mm-hmm. look like? I'm not sure that that's a thing that they have in them or that they want to do. But if the bookstores are any indication of Amazon, quote unquote, reimagining yeah. retail, they're not changing much. Because a Whole Foods, I mean, the thing that makes a Whole Foods a Whole Foods, and again, maybe this is, again, reductive, and I apologize if I'm being obtuse about it. It's like a regular grocery store, but with fancier junk in it. Like, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's what it is. Because it, to my mind, something like Trader Joe's is way more interesting than Whole Foods because it kind of did rethink it, right? It's like there's a bunch of generics, there's a lot of prepackaged, it's 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 down market, but you don't feel like you're at Aldi, which I've shopped at Aldi, don't get me wrong, but right, it's it's like a down market value grocer that like rich people go to. Like we went to one in Palm Springs and there's all these rich old people having a grand old time at Trader mm-hmm. Joe's, like getting deals oh, on pistachios. Are- that Trader Joe's in what, like Carroll Gardens yeah. in Brooklyn? Yeah, right. It's in an old bank building. <laughs> on, a, on a Sunday afternoon, yeah. with like you have to wait in line to get into yeah, the it's, grocery it's, store. It's, right. it's like it's, Space Mountain at Disneyland on a Saturday. It is. It is. <laughs> That's exactly what it feels like, right? You, it's just people dying to pay yeah. discount prices for food that makes them feel fancy or feel good about things. Like um, uh, an interesting side note that I saw come out of these discussions was like, there's a lot of I think cultural self righteousness. connected to whole foods and to the like to the kind of person that you might be wanting to telegraph to the world that Mm -hmm. you are if whole foods is like your thing and i'm not making broad judgments about whole foods people i'm just saying we all know at least one of these whole foods people who's like everything the fact that i shop at whole foods indicates to you something about my character um but whole foods like is not pure in the world of corporations already um and i think that's important to say like this is not one giant corporation amazon taking a pure corporation and corrupting it like uh they're very different businesses but whole foods is far from you know i guess innocent um or completely righteous in the well anytime you get to be the size of whole foods and also dealing with the food chain like it's an impure i mean it's just by by its nature like where is your line like what's your personal line of uh, righteousness i guess in giant corporate behavior but it's i do think that that was worth like i saw someone remind another person of that i think on facebook and i was like oh right yes that's correct like you might feel really righteous about your organic kale chips and like that there's no hormones in anything ever but like it's still a huge corporation right yeah and and i guess so the the top line in terms of like you know how it comes back to books and reading like are there gonna is there gonna be a big book section in whole foods like my sense is that probably whole foods won't look a lot different for a long time i'm guessing that the first step will be to integrate you know whole foods delivered to your door through amazon.com like if you live, it's kind of like how the same day delivery and Prime rolled out based on zip code as they could fulfill it. Suddenly, they just got a huge footprint of, we can deliver you your organic chicken and um, quinoa tomorrow. 
from our whole like it, that mm-hmm. might take a little bit of time, but you you basically are getting two hundred distribution centers um, for stuff like that, which makes sense. But it does tell me that Amazon did not have a better idea than that, and and that I can say that is not is not shows that it's not a genius idea, right? I mean, yeah. I'm no genius about this stuff, but that that makes sense. I can see it, but it's not some. I don't know. It's not some other kind of effort because um, the Whole Foods, at least the one I used to go to in Brooklyn, I think the one I've been to a couple times here in Portland, have partnered with a service called Instacart, which I don't know if it was mm-hmm. owned by Whole Foods or just had a deal where you could basically do that. You go to instacart.com or wholefoods.com and you fill out your cart and you press a button and it was, I think it could be delivered to you or I think even less expensively, you just go pick up your order. Like it's all bagged up and ready for you to go. Um, which is interesting too, because even I mean stuff like milk and are, you gonna, is Amazon, are they driving big refrigerated trucks? I guess that's what Fresh Direct did, which we did in, in Brooklyn a lot. Like you'd make a grocery store order and they deliver it to you. Um, if Amazon had bought Fresh Direct, I think that mm. would have been more interesting because they don't have stores; they're just they're just distribution, and they they. But I I I don't know. I think groceries is hard. Groceries is gonna be hard for Amazon because like look at well Lawrence right. My hometown, the town you spent time in, there's not a Whole Foods there, and there won't be for a long time, I don't think. How is Amazon going to get kale to them? If that, I mean, how are they going to get them sour cream? You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. I I just don't understand that this this doesn't seem to solve that problem. Now, maybe you just need the 200 zip codes in metropolitan areas or whatever that holds foods, and you've got all the customers you want. But that's not my understanding of Amazon's ambition. Like, you can get Prime in Lawrence. But I don't think you're going to be able to get uh, um, uh, watermelon. I, I just, I just don't see how well, it's going to happen. I mean, unless they really do use the Whole Foods stores as distribution centers. Like, there's a Whole Foods in what Leewood, like 40 minutes from Lawrence. So if you did have refrigerated, right? Okay, then Topeka, then Salina. Right. Like, you can get Amazon. Again, may, maybe they did the math and like, okay, if we use these Whole Foods as distribution center and double them, we can get. 82% of the most valuable customers. And maybe they did math like that. You know, screw uh, Salina, screw Hayes. These are all towns in Kansas that you have no reason to know, but people live there. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, right. like, I'm not joking. Yeah, like, no. Like, Somebody in Hayes wants kale too. Yeah, I mean, or or just milk. Like, Amazon can reach, you know, they, there's a reason they have like 60% of the U.S. online book retail market because they did a thing that wasn't available to Hayes. Or I'm sure, you know, that you could get any book the next day or within two days of Prime in Hayes is a huge deal. But they can already get milk in Hayes. Like, how are you going to, if they want, so either they don't want to compete with that or they're not going to or whatever. That That's the part um, of this that I don't really think. It's like, and maybe that's enough. Maybe it's like Apple stores. You know, there's never going to be an Apple store in Hayes. There's not going to be an Apple store in Lawrence, but they're in these super valuable high foot traffic locations and that is, you know, by doing 30% of the effort, you get 90% of the return. Maybe that's the sort of thing. I guess I'm just reimagining my sense of what Amazon's ambitions would be. Because there's a Walmart in Lawrence. There's a Walmart in Hayes. Um, there's a Walmart in Salina. So anyway, anything else about Amazon buying Whole Foods? Nah. Yeah, I, I feel like the, the most interesting thing to me, I'm kind of circling around this point, is I learned, the, what's more interesting than Amazon actually buying Whole Foods is I feel like I learned something about Amazon. Yeah, that, that part is, that part is interesting. Um, 
And it'll be, I think, I guess, fun more than anything else to follow what, if anything, becomes of this. Mm -hmm. Like, I think also at this point, we both kind of have Amazon acquisition fatigue, like that most of the new things Amazon does result in kind of nothing burger. Yeah. Yeah. And so like this could be something. It could also be that like Whole Foods just kind of rolls on and Amazon owns them. Mm -hmm. Like they might integrate in small ways. It'll be it'll be who knows. I'm not I'm not like terribly excited about getting to follow this story, but Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what would be exciting. I mean what would be really interesting. I guess Fresh Direct I don't know if I would be excited about it, but it would be, it would, yeah. it's a little interesting. I mean, Amazon wants a giant footprint. And I guess, unless you go buy, I mean, I guess, I don't know. How big is Kroger? Like, what's the largest? Like, I don't even know. Like, what if they went and bought one of like the, the, mm. the, 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 I mean, there's a Dylan, a Kroger is in Lawrence, and there's multiple Dylans in Lawrence, or High V, or like one of these real mass market, middle of the road supermarket chains. They also didn't buy them. Now, maybe. Those guys are just, I mean, Kroger is also a publicly traded company, but there's a much more than 200. Maybe mm-hmm. they didn't want to pay $200 billion. I, I have no idea. But they didn't do something like that. Like there's a there's a demographic twist to the Whole Foods story that I think you can't miss um, as well. Uh, other news. This, so that was broke at the tail end of last week after we recorded the show. What broke right before, it's not even on this, you know, it's, it's not even on a cosmic scale. It's, it's not even the same galaxy in terms of of, of uh, interest. But in the book world, a big deal, and maybe a big deal from how kind of shruggy shoulders I, I'm taking it, and that's what mm, we talked about mm-hmm. it real quick. Um, John Green just announced today that his next novel is coming out October 10th of this year, which we'll talk about that date in a minute, and it's called Turtles All the Way Down. Um, it's coming from Penguin Books. Uh, Fault in Our Stars was from Dutton, which is a Penguin imprint uh, as well. Uh, we know a little bit about it. It's like there's a billionaire and a and a and a, and a reward or something. Um, we'll link to show notes what we know about it at this point. Um, I guess just from a real insider baseball, October 10th is soon. It is soon. Yeah, yeah. That's maybe the first thing that I noted about this announcement is like a couple of years ago we would have I think been hearing about a new John Green book like a year and a half in advance mm-hmm. with pre-order links to stoke the fire for the following eighteen months. Like in the same way that we've been hearing about the new Dan Brown book that's coming yep. out in September for a year already. Um, so it's interesting that they're making this announcement in the middle of the summer, which is already pretty quiet for publishing, about a book that's only a few months away. And we were sort of speculating before the show. Like I, um, the reaction that I have seen to it as well has been kind of shruggy shoulders. And I don't know if it's like that the rabid John Green fault in our stars audience has possibly aged out mm-hmm. of being the the appropriate like rabid John Green fan, or maybe his moment is just over. But I see a lot less. John Green lately mm. than I did there for a while. And that could also be my own like filter bubble right. internet stuff happening. So I'm not sure, like maybe the rest of the internet is stoked about this, but it's, I think this is one of those like, Oh, okay. Well you can imagine a day where the announcement of a new John Green book would have like broken the internet. Yeah. Um, right. And maybe Tumblr is going like wild turtles all the way down. Yeah. yeah it's funny. It's <laughs> like, it's, it's a joke we use, right? I think I may mm-hmm. even used it uh, a version of it, a very, a, a version yeah, of it earlier today. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, what book con was three BEA was three weeks ago. Like that's the right. thing I keep coming back to is like 
Was the book like really not ready? Like Rainbow they really Rowell? didn't know yeah. if it was going to come. I think that means they really didn't know it was going to come out this fall. Right? Don't you think? Like mm-hmm. something happened over the last three weeks that like either Green or the editor or, or whoever said, okay, we can do it. Like he rewrote the ending and or, or wrote the ending or said, yes, it's done. And it was really that close. Um, because if they thought they could get it done in October, if it, so that, right. that I thought is interesting as well. I'm also surprised, I guess they also want it out as fast as they can, because if you had said new ground, new John Green novel announced for October 10, 2018, I would have been shocked. Like that, yeah. that wouldn't have been too far. I mean, it would have been on the long side ahead of time, but we hear about Dan Brown novels way ahead of time. We hear about all this kind of stuff way ahead of time sometimes. Um, so anyway, it's in this weird middle between, uh, real quick and not uh you know it could have been i would expect it longer or way or way shorter right, right. like or it's like, either way long or like beyonce yes yeah yeah or um there's one I, you know it was the uh 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 cursed child no was it the cursed mm-hmm. child that was like all of a sudden no that was the play there was some other one dang it i can't think about it or i can't i can't think of what it was Oh, it was a uh, 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 ghost of a watchman. It was like oh, in six yeah, weeks. That happened very quickly. Yeah, right? or and there was the 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 other perspective version of Fifty Shades Christian. I can't remember what it's called now. Gray. 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 That was like six weeks, um, which has its own kind of momentum. Anyway, this is this weird uh, interstitial timing mm-hmm. for books. You don't often I mean, hear four months, less than four months from now. Right. There's a major book coming out. Well, yeah, and like the fall book catalogs are all out. Yeah. Done. All out. They're all out for September, October. So this is I a guess, lot of the book tours a, and stuff a, have been booked. I mean, that's interesting title. too. Yeah, this um, is really interesting. Um, I'm interested to hear from our yeah bookseller and librarian friends, but also listeners who would be more plugged into the John Green universe than we are about where the like what's the level of Muppet Arms mm-hmm. about this where you're sitting. So email us at podcast at bookriot.com and let us know. I guess the other thing that made it I'm just real quick code on that. The other thing that makes it feel like it's been a thousand years, for a while there, it was like everything was coming up John Green. Like the movie was a big hit. There was a couple other, wasn't there the Paper Towns I saw that movie? That was another adaptation. There was something else in the work. The Abundance of Catherine's I don't think ever got made into a movie or maybe it did and Mm -hmm. it came and went. Like everything got adapted and there was nothing. And such is the fate, I guess, of a novelist, right? Where you go away away and it's gone and it's not Game of Thrones. It's not... um, uh, you know, a TV show being made up, so that's always sort of in the ether. It's not a franchise where people are like, "What's the next version going to be?" The the writer of a, of standalone novels, it's hard to keep that momentum. Uh, it really is, and I guess this will be the first test of John Green as a real brand rather than a moment. I think because mm-hmm. um, I think Dan Brown, for example, made the transition from. Uh, uh, the Da Vinci Code moment to he's every book doesn't sell like Da Vinci Code, but Dan Brown is a brand. Um, yes, and I will be curious to see. Like it feels to me like he has a huge Twitter following and a huge YouTube audience, especially in a in a podcast and everything. Like like now, he's so he certainly has an audience, but is it an author audience or is it a cultural brand audience? And those two things are, are really different. Um, yeah, that's be an curious interesting to, question. To and are there new like? Are there new, like, newly minted thirteen-year-olds yes. becoming John Green fans? I think that's or very was there interesting. A yeah, block of John Green fans that are aging out of being YA 
readers. Mm -hmm. Like, I think this is also a thing that happens to big of the moment anythings, you know, musicians and movies and any really any kind of celebrity, but also authors, especially if you write in YA your readers age up, but if you continue to write for YA, then you need to be acquiring new readers as they age into your group. And I don't know if that's happening for him or not. And that's a genuine question. Yeah, I don't don't know. know. I don't know. Um, We weren't 13, nor were we 19 or 22 when those books came out. And you're a different person at 19 than you were at 13, because that's the kind of age gap we're talking about now. Um, Will people read it nostalgically? Is it like an R.L. Stein situation where it's fine? You know, he'll be ever great for whatever 13 to 16-year-olds are now? Do you... it's fascinating. I think all those yeah, are fascinating really related questions. questions. Uh, let's see. We have time for a couple. Well, let's oh, do, we we'll do, do our, let's our sponsor. sponsor, then we'll we'll do a couple. Of, we'll do some potpourri time. Right. So um, Plowshares is a literary magazine, and they are sponsoring this week. I'm talking about Plowshares Solos, which is a digital first series of novellas that are edited and published by the award-winning literary journal. There's outstanding writers of both fiction and nonfiction that are featured nine times a year through the Plowshares solo titles. Every title is available for digital download on Kindle, Nook, iPad, and Kobo. So you can buy a solo today, or you can subscribe to receive a year's collection of issues for just 10 bucks. Mm. That's a great deal. Um, if you're looking to expand your digital library or upgrade your morning commute, look no further than Plowshares Solos. Visit pshares, P-S-H-A-R-E-S dot org slash book riot to find your next read. If you're not familiar with Plowshares yeah. or with the literary journal world in general, um, this can be a great way to discover voices that you haven't heard of before, to discover writers maybe that are just entering the literary scene. They don't have book deals yet. But often, especially something that has as much clout as Plowshares does, established writers will make appearances there Mm -hmm. too. You might get an early look at a piece or a story gets published in Plowshares that then you later come across in that writer's short story collection. So, Would you like to hear a cultural analogy? I've got one ready for you for Plowshares. Oh, yes, I'm ready. It's kind of like... Plowshares is kind of like the comedy seller in New York in which mm. you've got new upcoming comics. Like you, if you're interested in who's new, you go to the comedy seller. But also that's where like Chris Rock and Aziz Ansari go to like work on new material. Yeah, so it's, yeah, that's a good it's, mm-hmm. it's prestigious and different. Like you're going to see some weird, maybe half-baked stuff, but it's going to be interesting. Like it's a prestigious, fascinating literary journal. A lot of acquisitions ed- or agents and editors read Plowshares to, to scout talent. You know, it's kind of mm-hmm. the, it's, minor leagues isn't wrong because, you know, Albert Pujols doesn't go down to play for uh, Class A Pawtucket. So that's, that's the wrong yeah. idea. But that's, it's, it's a lot, it's both, it's both minor league players and stars working on stuff, trying stuff out. Mm-hmm. Maybe they had a story they, it's not going to be part of a short story collection or they're working on a short story collection and they're going to, they're publishing it here in the meantime or to get feedback on it. Really fascinating stuff. So if you're, especially if you like literary fiction, um, I really recommend Plowshare. It's been a while since I read it regularly, but I, I still pick one up from now and now and again, I have to say. Yeah, it's a good one. And if you like that, you know, being in on something before yeah. it was big, like literary yes. hipster yep. feeling, I think this is a great way. Like I'm still telling a story about the time that I saw a band in somebody's basement in Kansas City in 1998 before they broke out in 2002. Like oh, Plowshares yeah. is kind of the literary equivalent mm-hmm. of that. Like you had to be like, oh, well, I read her when she just had this one story in Plowshares. Yeah, I'm sure the I list of recent authors that you've heard of who had an early story in Plowshares, I think would be an eye-opening. Oh, yeah. An eye-opening yes, list. It would. And to get... So they do 
The Plowshare solos nine times a year. You can get a year's worth of them for just 10 bucks. So again, it's pshares.org slash book riot. And thanks to them. Okay. La- last one. Can I, do you want to pick or you, you want me to pick? Oh, you sound like you have something in mind. Well, so I like the, So pick? Pottermore, the, I, mm. I don't know why it took them this long to do this. That's but, what I was going to say about it too. It's like Pottermore has a book club in headlines from 1990. Yeah, and, and the clubs are <laughs> Harry Potter stories. Like, what? Of course they should have done this. Like, read along <laughs> the Harry Potter books with the other, like, hyper, like, super and nerds. Like, of course you should do this. Like, why wasn't this in Pottermore on day one? Like, yeah, wasn't this, why wasn't the minimum, why wasn't this MV, the MVP, the minimum viable Pottermore of, 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 <laughs> of just, like, a read along <laughs> of this? I, I'm shocked. Maybe they wanted it's, to be, they have grander ambitions, and so may, maybe it felt small. I don't know. But, like, of course. Yeah. Guys, the, of course. Co- collect the excitement <laughs> collect it it's just just scoop it up when just it put it in your the, hat it's the 20th anniversary of the publication yeah. of the first harry potter book i think in the next week or so monday um oh monday yeah Man, that's, i'm writing something feel, for that amanda doesn't even so know old. i haven't told her i have to get I it feel done so old yeah um but that's like, this really does feel to me like a headline out of 15 years ago. Yeah, or like, like the, if, if Pottermore had launched with a book, a read-along, I would be like, right. yes, absolutely, yeah, right. duh. There's a whole podcast that are just this. Like, people, there's all this, I mean, Harry Potter, there, there's, no, there's no supernova it's, in the cultural sun that has more, like, satellites of interest orbiting yeah, around it, but... It's like they're late to their own party yeah, here. Like yeah. someone at Pottermore realized, like, oh, the internet is basically built on, like, the internet is like porn and Harry Potter. Yes, like that's what it is. That, it does and, seem that way. And there's all these people talking about it, like maybe we should have a Harry Potter book club. It's a and way it's like, to get people to keep think, coming back. You think you yeah. should have a Harry Potter book club? Well, I can also see too. It's a way to keep people coming back without having to have uh, J.K. like write a new thing about. Uh, uh, Buckbeak's uh, origin story, or something, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever other stuff she was doing for a while. Like this will get people coming back without new news about Harry Potter, which is tough for a site yeah. like this. Which is there's nothing else cooking. What are you going to do? Well, basically, you could have re, you could have like, st- like kind of like people do the Infinite Summer, like Infinite Jest. Every summer, there's like a book club that read Infinite Jest this summer. You could just have rolling, rolling book clubs. Basically, start here mm-hmm. and catch on whenever you want to. Makes a lot of sense to me. I bet it would be a lot of fun. I'm just a little bit shocked that if they were, I, I figured they'd never do it if they weren't going to do it by now. Right. Just, anyway, yeah. Yeah, the why now is an interesting, like, how, okay. Like, the, yeah. I'm glad they're doing it, but is there a reason that it's just happening now? Did they talk about it when they launched Pottermore and decide not to? Did it not occur to anyone? Like, I have very many questions yeah. about yeah. this. But I do think it would be fun. And we've got, I think, uh, Kelly, our own Kelly yes. Jensen, had never finished reading the Harry Potter series. And so she is reading them for the first time this summer. And she's been talking to contributors on the back channel about that experience. Like, people want to talk about the experience of reading Harry Potter and mm-hmm. the diehard fans that have Pottermore memberships definitely want to talk to people about it so i'm glad they're doing it but it's like you you just you okay (laughs) yeah i mean i guess better late than never but at some point you're so late to the party it's like where the heck were you you know yeah what was going on again i'm sure it'll be fine i doubt it'll impact the the success of the program it's just one of those kind of it's weird yeah it's just weird that it's happening right now and not a long time ago or never i guess i I had also assumed if it hadn't happened yet it was going to happen never let's thank our sponsors the rise and fall of dodo you can go check that out 
Alcrate, alcrate.com. Use offer code BOOKRIOT10 to get 10% off your young adult or middle grade subscription box. Swimming Home, which I hadn't read the, I hadn't looked at the read until you did it. Uh, Swimming Home by uh, Mary Rose McCall. Is that how you said it? I don't know. I think McCall. so. Uh, Swimming Home. And then uh, Plowshares. Go check them out. Thank you so much for dealing with Annotated. You can go check it out in Apple Podcasts. By the time you're hearing this, wherever you can get Overcast, wherever else you might be, go subscribe. Also, there's a dedicated email for it, annotated at bookriot.com. I, I, I'll be checking that personally. I'd like to hear your feedback, what you thought of the teaser. Um, if you've got episode ideas, you know, I'm always looking for stuff like, you know, for a season two or if, if we make it that far, I'd love to know um, what you guys would like to see, like to hear about what your feedback is um, really want to make it something people like. Uh, thanks to, to Rebecca for helping me with it, too. Uh, it's been fun My to pleasure. work on so far. That's our show. Um, email us at podcast at bookriot.com. You can also let us know about your John Green uh, excitement index, your, 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 J, your JGEI um, for, for, a new, for a new novel. We'll talk about that feedback next week. Take care. Have a good one.